With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You know, they both need to show something through the end of the year. I mean, Stroman was starting to. Bobby Cox is obviously the greatest manager that the Braves ever had, but does that mean he's the greatest manager that the Blue Jays ever had? Stupid, stupid concept. Oh, this guy's doing well. Let's hit him with a pitch. What is that supposed to accomplish? And welcome to episode number 114 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we catch our own flipped bats in midair. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined this week by Joshua Housem. Josh, how's it going? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's going well for the Blue Jays rookies, two of them who we're going to talk about. That's pretty exciting. We haven't really been able to say two rookies in a while. Uh... Another guy who we were excited when he came up as a rookie is making his way back. That would be Aaron Sanchez. Uh, We also have um, Josh Donaldson news about him possibly coming back. And of course, Curtis Granderson cleared waivers, which means he might be leaving entirely. But um, we've got a a tweet from uh, Shai Davidi. Uh, We got a tweet also from him about, uh, sorry, about Josh Donaldson. Um, We also have one about John Gibbons. Uh, we have your questions. We have a do-over because uh, there has been some throwing balls at uh, talented people, which should never happen. And then there's been people defending it, which gets even dumber. And, and I think that will get us most of the way through a podcast. So allow us to begin with the uh, the rookie debut of a uh, a battery, a pitcher and a catcher. So Danny Jansen and Sean Reed Foley. Uh, neither of those guys I've noticed is Vlad Jr., but that's what we got to work with. <laughs> yeah, I saw something funny. It's like, okay, so the Blue Jays had a third baseman go down with injury, while two other third basemen are currently on the disabled list, so they called up a catcher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that might, this shouldn't surprise anybody. Vlad Jr. wasn't going to come up here, but and Danny Jansen needed to come up. And this was the first, we talked about this before, like an injury was going to be the cause for him. It just wasn't an injury to Russell Martin. Like we thought it was going to be. Yeah. I mean, it, it was kind of a strange, uh, or unexpected, um, loss of another third baseman. I thought we were done, you know, losing third baseman, but you know, Russell plays third. So when he gets hurt, will he be, will it be as a third baseman? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he'll play shortstop and it'll happen there. Anything Again. is possible on the 2018 Blue Jays. So, uh, first of all, Danny Jansen, he got himself a hit in his, his debut uh, debut at bat, right? Yeah, he did. I think it might have been the first pitch, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But, you know, he's... You know, he's got, he got two hits in his first game, so it's no J.P.R. and C.B. Yeah, but... <laughs> 
Well, we don't really want to repeat that, do we? That no, we don't. We and don't then he homered in the second game. And he got a squib, nothing hit in his third game, but also a sack fly. And he's thrown out two runners stealing, one on a delayed steal, one on a pitch out. But even so, he got the guys out, which you know hasn't always been the case with Blue Jays catchers <laughs> the last couple of years. Yeah, the, we, we went from an, an elite Russell Martin at throwing guys out to he fell right off the table in terms of his arm or his pop time or something. Uh, so yeah, we were used to it for like one year of Russell Martin, and but surrounding Russell Martin has been some really sketchy defensive catcher work. Yeah, I mean, Luke Maley is obviously the exception to this, but I mean, we went through Miguel Montero and Jared Saltalamacchia, who just like, runners were like, can I take second and third on the same pitch? Maybe <laughs> anything's possible. Uh, yeah, and then and then going back, you know, pre Russell Martin. Um, you never had anyone who was, you know, Navarro was never a standout thrower. Um, they got these guys either for their bat or for their pitch framing in a lot of cases. I don't think, you know, uh, even going back to, to John Buck uh, and that kind of era, th- those were, none of those catchers were elite catch and throw kind of guys. No. And so, you know, Jansen, Jansen's not really that either. I mean, he, like, he's he thrown out two runners and one guy did steal third, but he's not going to supposed to be bad at this, which is when you can hit the way he's shown his ability to in the minors, including, you know, his not striking out, taking a lot of walks. Adequate defense is really all you want to be a solid regular, right? Yeah. Yeah. You want to see that he's got enough tools to stick at catcher, which this is short term anecdotal, good evidence. So we got a guy who um, we've known all, all year long could hit in AAA. We've seen good evidence there. What did we learn about Sean Reed Foley? Uh, not a lot. I mean, he throws hard, which is not exactly something that's too common among Blue Jays pitchers. He, I think he hit 96 and a half was his highest velocity, which as a starter is not bad. And he showed a good four pitch mix with a change curve and a slider. And yeah, it's tough to really get a sense of what, what it was like as he's facing the Kansas City Royals who aren't a great team, but you know, he, he got through five innings, gave up three runs, including a home run. But it was for a debut when he, you know, to the point where he said he was feeling, he was so nervous he couldn't feel his body. That's pretty good. <laughs> Hopefully he felt the baseball, I guess, is what you're really hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so this, of course, is, I guess, what's really indicative of here is the tip of the iceberg that we are about to see uh, change as the Blue Jays roster turns into a 2019 roster. Um, I guess what we're, we're trying to figure out is how close are the Blue Jays to being able to field a team of Major League regulars with the guys who are already in the majors who are controllable, plus all of those guys who are, are very close to being there. And, and does that mean 2019 is a competitive team that way? Well, I think if they did that without supplementing from the outside, we'll get into this a bit more later, but... I think it'd be a little tougher because, you know, young players, it's hard to predict early success. I mean, lately, the last three or four years, really, rookies have done a lot better than they have in the past. I don't know exactly what the reasons are for that. I'm People have done studies on this, but I don't remember their findings. But, I mean, you have Vlad Jr. and Boba Shett, who should come up next year. Kevin Biggio or Kevin Biggio, however he says it, should come up next year. That's an infield. And then the outfield, they've already got that. And then you got Alfred potentially might turn something around. But, I mean, and, and McKinney, who they got in the in the hat trade. So they've got a bunch of really young players 
And as you mentioned, they're starting to come up now because we've got Guriel when he's healthy. And we've got all these guys I just mentioned, Teoscar Hernandez. So it's a lot different from the last couple of years. So we've been used to, and this segues nicely, talking about the Jays' great young pitching and figuring out how to how to get a lineup that's anywhere near as vital as that 2015 monster lineup was. I, maybe we have potentially the opposite uh, thing that we're going to end up discussing, which is that now that Aaron Sanchez is coming back, um, you've got this kind of cobbled together rotation that doesn't look like it has a superstar in it unless either Sanchez or Stroman turns it around. So Sanchez is making starts again, so his contusion is less contused, or whatever you would say. Um, but what happens when he comes back? Well, I think what happens when he comes back is going to be the determining factor on where this team goes going forward. Because if Aaron Sanchez comes back from whatever this phantom contusion was, I mean, he jammed the finger, but we don't actually know anything beyond that. If he comes back and he's Aaron Sanchez, like, you know, the guy who confront a rotation, Aaron Sanchez, and Marcus Stroman figures out whatever the heck is going wrong with him right now, he just got torched by the Yankees. Because and there's reason to believe that he can. That's two pitchers who have no business being on a rebuilding team. So, and this is what I talked about earlier when I said you know, we're going to get into this. I think if they come back and they show what they can do, there ha- there's at least some reason with if these other rookies start performing through the end of the season to think, okay, maybe we should supplement going into next year instead of a further teardown. Oh yeah, no, I sorry when I said how close is this team. I meant in terms of, you know, how, how much extra do you have to put it work to put into acquire pieces in the offseason to get you from, you know, a team that's just full of near rookies and guys with tons of control to a team that can actually compete, especially we're back to the old in the AL East, aren't we? Yes, we definitely are. And, and it's next year. It's still probably going to be for a second wild card. But and, I, and this and this is where I think it's these two pitchers are the biggest determining factor in that, because. You know, Reed Foley and Baraki can, they can probably be a decent four or five. But if Sanchez and Stroman are Sanchez and Stroman, it makes sense to go get another number two or three starter and then, you know, fix some of the outfield positions or, you know, don't start Brandon Drury at third base. Basically, what you're talking about is like try to supplement and go for it a bit as opposed to, okay, let's trade these pitchers. Let's trade smoke and then push it back for play for 2020. Yeah, I mean, you've got two pitchers who actually probably should not be this astonishingly big question marks at this point in their careers, but you've got Aaron Sanchez, who in his last full season led the American League in the ERA. You've got Marcus Stroman, who we know when he's doing what he, you know, what you expect him to do with 200 innings is either a pitcher who gets a bit lucky and has an ERA around three, or a pitcher who is you know, backed by a half-decent infield and has an ERA around four, but he can make all of his starts. None of those things seem like a sure thing after the last season and a half with these two guys, either because of performance or because of injury. And I honestly believe, like you said, you need both of them mm-hmm. to do yeah, so they, what they sorry. need, you know, what you expect them to do, not just one of them. You know, they both need to show something through the end of the year. I mean, Stroman was starting to. He had that good stretch where he had the one bad start, but in his last couple of times, he hasn't been very good. So, you know, it's like this inconsistency is not something you want to be seeing if you're trying to assess if this is something to build upon, right? Mm -hmm. So 
you know, this the next month and a half will be huge for them. And in, in, in Stroman's case, performance, and in Sanchez's case, health. And actually, sorry, I was wrong. Stroman was decent last time out. I don't know what I was thinking about. It was two times. Two. It was in Oakland. He wasn't very good. But uh, and. You know, like those guys combined with the young guys, if you see good performance to the end, I don't see any logic for tearing it down. Right. But if you if you're up in the air about one or both of those guys at the end of the season, 2019 does not look like a competitive year. Right. Yeah. If you can't have faith in those two pitchers, both of them, as you said, but not just one, then it's very hard to go in. All right. Well, you and I agree boring yeah, huh sometimes sometimes we do agree on things on this podcast <laughs> it's funny how that happens so i want to touch on curtis granderson because it's, it's, he's not going to take that long to talk about before we talk about that other third baseman guy who is coming back and isn't vlad jr also um so i mean granderson it's astonishing to me that he's still on this team on august 17th <laughs> yeah I mean, he he was traded in late August last year too, but I, I mean, he definitely. The only reason I can see that he's still here, well, okay, two reasons. One, nobody wants him because he's not having that great a year. It's actually the worst year of his last four seasons. But the other reason is that they just feel that what he brings in the clubhouse with the young outfielders is more valuable than what they're going to get in return in a trade. There's got to be a lot of positive chit chat going on for that, but. <laughs> I, don't I mean, especially know. when you look at Cle- a team like Cleveland, seems like a natural suitor for Granderson because you know they traded for Leonis Martin at the deadline to fill one of their outfield holes. But Leonis Martin is now, I mean, he's dangerously sick. I, I thought it was—I can't remember what it was, but it was you know, not, not something that right. So you know, like life-threatening at the t- initially if they didn't get to it in time. So he's not coming back anytime soon. So that it seems like a natural fit. And obviously the the Blue Jays in Cleveland fit, which gets discussed as nauseum, but I do expect he'll still be traded. All right, fair enough. I mean, he. It, I guess if he were a left-handed bat, maybe it would be. Sorry. The, it, sorry. The. If you were from the other <laughs> side of the plate, that's what I'm trying to say. It, maybe he would be easier to trade. I don't know. Um, I was just thinking Cleveland is short on on exactly what he is, but hey, who knows. Uh, so the other guy, the other guy is Josh Donaldson, who is the infamous getting closer. There was a picture of him that looked like he was actually running. I don't know. Maybe they blurred the picture. Uh, <laughs> just sped it up. Yeah. Little Gaussian blur in Photoshop. Boom. Just Josh is going. Um, there's been a lot of chat now about how apparently Josh Donaldson and his late return has cleared him out of the Blue Jays plans for 2019 completely. Yeah, and you know this is sort of comes from a, a tweet that Shai Davidi made earlier today. Or not a tweet, sorry, it's a quote. He that he was on the uh the good show with Ben Ennis and JD Bunkus and he said that he doesn't think the Blue Jays qualify Donaldson because they they think or because Shai thinks it's possible he accepts the qualifying offer which goes into what you're saying. Like if he doesn't play much towards the end of the season, it might make some logical sense. I still don't think he would, but some logical sense for him to take it and try to go have a good healthy year before hitting free agency. I, I, I digress here, but how, how long was the pitch meeting to call something the good show? <laughs> With neither of the guys on it named good. So that was an opportunity that just anyway, 
<laughs> we spent a decent amount of time coming up with artificial turf wars, and I admit it's not the greatest name in the world, but come on. <laughs> <laughs> Should we call it the show? The what? The better show? Oh, yeah. Hey, we're changing it next week, folks. That's how we're going to go. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, back to Josh Donaldson. Right. Qualifying offer or not. I think you qualify him. I mean, I, it seems like a no-brainer to qualify him because even if you're not going to necessarily compete in 2019, um, having him on a one-year contract for $20 million, doesn't that make him like really tradable as soon as a contender has a hurt you know, first or third baseman the following season? Yeah, I mean, you can't trade him until I think it's June 1st or something like that if you do this. But yes. And the reason I didn't even mention him when I was talking about, you know, Aaron Sanchez and Marcus Stroman coming back and what that means. But for, I think because I'm I agree with you, you qualify Josh Johnson regardless. It, to me, if you qualify him, the best possible outcome is that he takes it. Yeah. Because you've got how sorry. how bad could he be? Only as bad as he was this year. <laughs> right. And if you get Josh Donaldson for on the qualifying offer, that's a reduction in his salary by $7 million and for one year deal. So there's really no downside risk to it, especially because if the team is not going for it, who cares what it does to their budget and their ability to go get players. And if they are, they're getting Josh Donaldson. <laughs> Who, the last time I checked, when he played, was an all-star caliber third baseman. Right. I mean, this is, when he's healthy, he is one of the baseball. And full stop. I mean, that's just what he's that good. So I just don't understand this idea that it would be a bad thing if he takes a qualifying offer. Yes, it would block Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at third. So what? Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can play first. He can play left. He can play DH. It doesn't matter. There's enough room on the roster. Kenneth Morales does not have to play. Well, even to the point of, given what we know about Josh Donaldson and his calf, don't you want a spot for JD to DH if he picks up the qualifying offer and you play you play around him DHing a good chunk of the time? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's room to get these guys bat at bats, and it's pretty much that simple. They, they've done it this year with all their outfielders and Curtis Granderson and Kendrick Morales and whatever, right? So it's not like it would be a new problem. And Josh Johnson makes the team better. And I was talking about this with Andrew Stoughton on Twitter earlier today, and he made an interesting point. He alluded to something that Ross Atkins had said at a pitch talks that uh, Donaldson is such a cerebral advanced hitter that sometimes he tries to impart wisdom and it's just so far beyond other players that they try it and it hurts them which is a, a <laughs> funny thought I, I that's not something i ever could have considered but uh, you know you could just say don't tell people what to do or just you know like you, you can work around something like that like that's the only negative i could see and it, that's not much of one yeah it, it isn't because it's the old adage you can't think and hit at the same time so if you've got the i mean i think if you have a strong enough hitting coach to say you can talk to Donaldson all you want, but when you get in the box, you're hitting, you're not thinking. You know, knowing that that's a factor, I think you can absolutely work around that. Yeah, and you know, the question I guess becomes like, what else could they do with the 18 million bucks that could have more value than Josh Donaldson, right? So even if you're not good, Josh Donaldson, like you mentioned, you can trade him in June or July for basically what the Dodgers got, or sorry, the Orioles got for Manny Machado, some something in that neighborhood, a good package, not a great one. 
I guess theoretically you could go sign two really good relievers and trade them at the deadline, but that's not a really good bet. No. So on to the other thing that Shai Davidi mentioned, uh, which I think I think makes us happy because we are on the Gibby the best team. Um, John Gibbons will finish out the season as Blue Jays manager. This is a quote directly from the tweet. And his future will be revisited afterwards as per GM Ross Atkins. Um, I think jo- John Gibbons has earned whatever dignified exit or contract renewal he would like with his team. Yeah, I mean, well, it's not, it wouldn't be contract renewal. He's under contract for next season, but I think this allows him to resign from the job as opposed to getting fired because I look, we, we like Gibbons and, and we would like to see him continue, but I don't think he's going to be back. I don't think he wants to be part of any sort of rebuild. I think the only exception will be if they're going to go for it again. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I don't blame him. He's done two tours of duty in the majors and, I I I can see why he wouldn't want to feel like he's starting over again with a whole new group of guys at this point. Maybe he would rather, you know, he looks like the happiest guy in the world sometimes when he gets thrown out of a game. <laughs> 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 because that means he's more time with his feet up in his office. Um, you know, I wonder how many times he would have those thoughts with, with a rookie team making rookie mistakes, which, which they are bound to do. Yeah, and... You know, it's just like if your goal is to to coach a winner and it's like you're going to be two, three years away and you don't know when you're if you're going to be around at that point, then I can see the desire to just get out. Yeah. But if he doesn't, I also respect that. I mean, if if he really thinks it over and, you know, they decide they come to an understanding that, you know, 2019 might not be exactly what he wants, but they're they're really going to make an effort if anything goes right and, you know, to make 2020 a, a year where they contend. Well, I respect that as well. I think he should he should get that choice because he certainly hasn't done anything. You know, well, he he hasn't fought anybody in a in a tunnel. He hasn't <laughs> has any confrontations on the mound this go round, right? No, he no, he's been everything what people hoped he could be, and so like 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 you, he deserves to have have a nice, comfortable, dignified exit. Indeed. Um. Is there anything else that we have to cover in current events? I think we got it. You know, the Jays is a club. Well, I mean, Gurriel's getting close to coming back. I guess we could say that. But, yeah, it's, the Jays are what they are at this point. Yeah. Which somehow is worse than the Rays, who have no starting pitching and no offensive stars and no payroll. Yeah. We'll be right back after this. After a long day of podcasting, I think it's only fair that I take a little time to myself. And what's more enjoyable than watching some minor league baseball highlights? Just the other day, Josh and I were sharing links about the accomplishments of Vlad Jr., Danny Jansen, and Kevon Biggio. This was good, but as I told Josh, it needed a little something extra to make it really great. That's why I added minor league seasoning to our session. What is it, you ask? Well, it's hard to say, but... Almost every prospect who would be eligible for arbitration a year early needs some, so you should have some too. Just go to minorleagueseasoning.com and check out their selections. You can choose between varieties such as more reps, defensive improvement, and learning what it means to be a pro. Whatever you feel like, really, because they all end up tasting the same. And if you use product code TURFPOD, you can save yourself 15 extra days of service time. Minor League Seasoning 
without a little, you might not even be watching a prospect at all. And we're back. Hardly could miss us, I would assume. It's pretty much the way that works. Um, <laughs> this is the part of the show where we tend to uh, answer your question. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? And there are questions, lots of good ones. I shall begin with Luke can't even anymore at split letters. He says, get your crystal balls out, which sounds uncomfortable. We all know Vlad will be up <laughs> approximately three weeks into next season. But I'm curious, when do you think Bo makes it? First half, second half, not at all. I don't think not at all is going to be in the options. My guess is probably right around the end of the first half. I think it would be before the all-star break, but he definitely won't be up at the beginning of the season. I Not think, definitely, but very likely. Yeah, I think some of that depends on spring training because this team loves to take a look at spring training and make a weird decision about one or two players. Um, I could certainly see him with n no problem starting in AAA next year. So I'm going to say first half, middle of the first half. Um, um, yeah, barring injury. Past Super 2. Yeah, and that's the big one. I mean, they, they just have so many infielders on their roster, they don't need to rush Bichette. Yeah, I meant barring his injury. Uh. <laughs> I don't want him to get hurt. I don't want any prospect to get hurt, but it happens a lot. Uh, who is the pitcher who got drilled off the arm on his first rehab start? Was that Pearson? Yeah. Yeah. Is he still out? Yeah, I don't think he's going to pitch again this year. He might, but it's... Yeah. It's getting a bit late in the minors. All right. I have one for for you before you ask one for me. Max Christensen at Maximau5. How early is too early to start getting excited about Eric Pardino? He just fired seven scoreless with six strikeouts for Bluefield and is still four years away from having a beer in the States. Yeah, he's he's real young. He was signed out of Brazil last year for the record, actually, for anyone signed out of uh, from Brazil. He's it's always supposed to have been very advanced for his age. So when even when he was 16, he pitched for Brazil in the World Baseball Classic qualifying and he played with adults and he had a good command and feel for the strikes on. So how soon is too soon to get excited? Uh I don't know. Next year is probably a good time. I mean, I, I think that he's a guy who could come to the majors, you know, be a starting pitcher or a pitcher who makes the majors by 20, which is not that common. No, no. Pitchers often take a lot of time to figure things out after how to throw hard, right? Yeah. Okay. So next question for you. This, this uh, also came in from Luke. But uh, it was sent between the last podcast and before our first segment today when we talked a little bit about some of these. But if the rumors swirling around Gibby end up being true, which at the time were that he might be fired soon, where would you rank him all time in terms of Jay's managers? 
So I think uh, the question, first of all, you, Turf Pod's always open. You can text us a question or tweet us a question anytime you like. Uh, second of all, um, I think question still applies because uh, he may be choosing to step aside anyway, um, mm-hmm. you know, regardless. I think he is is probably number two in terms of, of Blue Jays managers. Because, I mean, you've, you've only got four successful Blue Jays managers, right? Cito Gaston, Bobby Cox. Um, I don't know if you count Jimmy Williams and John Gibbons. I think you got to put him at number two. Um, behind? Behind Cito. There are many people who would put Cox at number one. So, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's so tough <laughs> to, to gauge good and bad managers. I mean, Cito oversaw a lot more winning than Gibbons, but also saw some terrible seasons and He's up there, right? Just, just as you said, like he's one of the better managers in the club's history. Yeah, I, I, th- I think, uh, I think a manager's reputation is very difficult to to get some sort of clear impression of because inevitably, the the reputation grows based on things that didn't actually happen during his time as a manager, right? Yeah, or even as a manager of that team, Bobby Cox is obviously the greatest manager that the Braves ever had, but does that mean he's the greatest manager that the Blue Jays ever had? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Kind of a, It's a tough question. Uh, but I'm going to say number two if I have to commit to a number. Okay. The Heated End at Heated End asks, do you think they will try to add an outside bat besides Vladdy next year, or will they wait for the year after? Uh, I know it's really far away, but who, who do you or who would you like to see them get? I would like to see them go get Bryce Harper. Who wouldn't? And I, you wouldn't? No, who wouldn't? Oh, who wouldn't? <laughs> uh, I mean, but the thing is, like, with a Bryce Harper type thing, right? Like, like it's not going to happen. And this is a pure pipe dream. But it would make sense just because of his age, too, right? It wouldn't be like going out and signing some 35-year-old free agent or even a 30-year-old free agent. He's going to be 26. But uh, I don't know. I, I think my... My best bet is that they actually won't go out and add a bat of any consequence. You know, they'll fill in holes or whatever, but I hope they do. Sometimes all we have is hope. Um, yeah, I, I think talking about who they get the year after is bloody impossible at this point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I assume the question wasn't asking for that. No, it says, yeah, okay. Fair enough. Um, he says, I know it's really far away. It is. It's so far away that we don't even know what the free agent class is actually going to look like at that point. Which is crazy. Uh, okay. Final question. Um, I had a sense of deja vu with this question. It turns out my deja vu was correct, wasn't it? It certainly was. So Dave Church asked, more likely to have September at bats for the Blue Jays, Vlad Guerrero Jr. or Troy Tulowitzki. The reason this might seem familiar to you is because on May 30th, Dave Church asked, who has more Major League ABs this year, Tula or Vlad? Well, I give him credit for not copying and pasting the question, but if we, re- I mean, we, I guess we reuse the do-over maybe <laughs> too often. <laughs> but in fairness, it's a modified version. For us, like, who has more? And it's like, more likely to get one. You know, and I was like, it's the question's been downgraded. Um, I, I, I think you have to go with Tulo here. I don't know if Vlad gets the call in September. I know they want to probably see what they whether Tulo's moving. So I'm going to go with Tulo. I think so too. Even if it's 
look, I'm not nearly as optimistic on Tulo coming back as I was at one point in this podcast. Uh, but even if it's 20% that Tulo comes back and gets in at bat, I still think that's higher than that Vlad Guerrero Jr. gets called up in September. Just because of service time, not because he doesn't deserve it. Correct. All right. Oh, that means that we get to move on because we've got all your questions. And thank you once again for your questions. Anytime, folks, though we do only answer them on the podcast generally. Um, we have time for a do-over. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... And this week, the person speaking out of turn is Mets broadcaster Keith Hernandez. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so, um, Jose Urania hit uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. Acuna? Junior, uh, with the very first pitch of a game after he homered three games in a row against them, uh, which was described fairly universally as, quote, Bush League, unquote, but not by Keith Hernandez. So would you like Keith's comments? I have the quote here. They're killing you. You've lost three games. He's hit three home runs. You gotta hit him. I'm sorry. People are not going to like that. You got to hit him or at least knock him down. I mean, seriously, knock him down. If you don't hit him, you never throw to anybody's head or neck. You hit him in the back or hit him in the fanny to which I would ask the very simple question. Why? It's <laughs> insane. <laughs> <laughs> He's hit home runs. Yes. It was actually five games in a row, but only three against the Marlins, but that's what I it's meant. It's such yeah. a yeah, no, I know, I know. But it's such a stupid, stupid concept. Oh, this guy's doing well. Let's hit him with a pitch. What is that supposed to accomplish? <clears throat> Literally. Like, I guess he can't homer off you if he's standing on first base. Just not in that at bat. The but, next time up, he can yeah. get a home run. Now, obviously, he couldn't because he actually had to leave the game with injury because he got hit in the elbow, although he did play the next game. But it, it's just so ridiculous this uh, this notion it's like you have to hit a guy for doing well why is that how did that ever come into the lexicon <laughs> i don't like, or no, know lexicon is the wrong word but come into the game i i like i i don't know how that would would start um i i get okay i can see the it would start by making sure that a guy wasn't crowding the plate or wasn't wasn't settling in too much we're going to talk about that in a minute but to get to the point of well he hits a lot of home runs so you got to hit him i i don't recall them plunking barry bonds every other at bat in that 2004 season did they do that and i missed it no they did what would be the more reasonable scenario here they walked him every other at bat <laughs> because they didn't want to pitch to him they didn't throw the ball at him yeah it's easy if you don't think you can get him out put him on first base if you think you can get him out, if you're, if you're better than him, well, then be better. Like, the, the cheapest possible way out here is to throw the baseball at him. And he has no recourse, is the other thing. He's about to get injured, and you, the pitcher, have no worries. Because chances are, if he comes and charges you, he may well get a suspension himself. as well. So you're both suffering a penalty for something that you, the pitcher, did. The whole thing is ridiculous. Yeah, I think, so here's the do-over it's it's the change to the rules if you throw at the guy in a scenario like this the batter gets the choice he either accepts that you get a suspension or he gets the right to charge the mound penalty free <laughs> he has to turn to the umpire in the middle of the game 
I'm gonna go it's with like, the charging. <laughs> if he charges, then it's just the choice is made. He doesn't have to say anything. It's like it's like throwing the flag, a challenge flag in football, right? If he charges the mound, it's the challenging the pitcher. Right. I want to see this rule change happen. I don't want any more beating people. Like, first of all, baseball people aren't very good at beating people up. And second of all, we end up with with stuff like people getting a tattoo of the uh no 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 but nobody else is allowed to come to the mound to help <laughs> oh it's just a it's a one mano a mano <laughs> yeah and anybody who comes to anyone who runs out of the dugouts or from their positions gets immediately ejected and suspended so it's like it, that'll stop pitchers throwing to hitters if the hitters get a free chance at them penalty free wow you just reinvented like like mma you just put it on the pitcher's <laughs> mouth it's, it's like enforcers in hockey. It's like it doesn't actually work, but <laughs> I think we may have actually come up with a worse idea than Keith Hernandez had. Yeah, no, this is actually a terrible idea. But really, <laughs> just suspend guys for longer when they do this is the real thing. Well, yeah, six games is one start. Maybe. Right. If you really want to fight. It's like, yeah. what do the Marlins care about Jose Urania missing a start? What do the Marlins care about getting home runs hit off them in the first place? They're, uh, they're intentionally horrible. True. So uh, it's just gutless. I think that's really all it is. It's like, just man up and try to get him out. The other thing about trying to get him out, and Michael Young tweeted a bunch about this, and I, I wanted to talk to you about it because you didn't see it exactly the same way, I guess. But he, he essentially said that by the time a, a hitter has reached the major leagues, the move his feet and make him uncomfortable, um, if he's been hit at all in his career, is not nearly as effective as anyone would have you believe he's expecting baseballs to come inside um he understands that pattern of pitching and he's if you know if he doesn't get hit he's ready for the next pitch that inevitably has to be a strike to get you back in the count i thought it was an interesting take yeah it's actually a really good take my the reason what my, my take i guess actually when i read more of the tweets and he talked about pitching up and in and down and away and mixing your pitches. That's more what I was thinking. It's like, it's, it's fine to throw that first pitch up and in just to let him know that you're willing to throw the ball on the in, inner third. So he's not diving out over the plate, but it's not about scaring him or making him anything like that. It's, it's just about showing him that you're willing to come in. So he can't just get those pitches that are out over the plate easier. Yeah. That he can't lock in on one zone that he can't look to one particular type of pitch that he can't follow a pattern. So Michael Young was saying, in order to get good hitters out, you have to pitch smart. And the dumbest kind of pitch is one that's right at a guy. Yeah. Uh, also, he made an interesting argument. He was like, well, don't compare that to Hall of Famers who pitched inside. Back in those days, there were lots of guys who pitched inside, couldn't get anybody out, and got released, and nobody talks about them. Well, that was so, that was one of the big things he went on about in that rant. Well, rant is the wrong word because he was actually very measured in that string of tweets. It's like you know, if you want to bust inside and throw in, you know, like if you don't have the command, you're going to hit guys and suck. Yeah, and and there's a survivor bias there when you think about great guys at coming inside any more than there is, a, you know, great guys who were great at striking people out. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think we've uh, we've given him his opportunity to. So the do over is an entire rule change. Yeah, no do over. <laughs> no. Just don't do it. Just don't yeah. throw the ball at guys for pitching well. Try to get him out. Yeah, especially not on the first pitch of the game. Oh, and uh, my other do over is don't appeal your freaking suspension. It's obvious what you were trying to do. Yeah, did I say pitching well? I meant hitting well. If I said that, right. Um, I think that gets us roundabout to the point in the podcast, if I'm not mistaken, where I ask you if you have a final thought. 
Yeah. So in Josh Johnson's absence, there's been no bringer of rain until today. The Blue Jays playing Yankees. They've been rain delays in three previous games. And then I think it was the sixth or seventh inning. I can't remember when. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton hit a home run. Started raining. Rain delay. <laughs> <laughs> Literally seeded the clouds. That's awesome. So, Donaldson, until you get back, I think you got to change your turtle handle. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I like weird things in baseball. I think you and I both talk about weird things. So this week's weird thing that was brought to my attention is uh, Nick Castellanos in Detroit, uh, or for Detroit, rather, uh, hit a home run. And he flipped the bat, which, I mean, that's not all that odd. And then Manny Gonzalez, because the bat was not flipped particularly emphatically, the home plate umpire caught the bat before it even hit the ground. This was awesome. <laughs> Like, who does that? <laughs> I've never seen that happen. It wasn't like he flipped it back towards the umpire. Manny Gonzalez stepped out towards the batter's box and caught it. Yeah, the opposite batter's box. And he just he snatched it out of it. it. It was a nice, slow tumble. It was almost directly up and down in the air, and he just grabbed it. It was like, did you not want to... Were you worried someone was going to come home and trip over it? And you thought, man, I got to bend down if that lands. I'll just get it now. And it was just so smooth. He just walked by, grabbed it, and kept moving. <laughs> It's, we'll put some version of this in the podcast post because if you somehow haven't seen this it's been you know if you if you're not watching tv or on twitter or on anything you then you won't have seen it and then thank you very much for somehow listening to our podcast but i think there awesome. should be a rule about that though that if if the umpire catches the bat before it hits the ground he gets to go home with it he can keep it <laughs> i think he should get to go take a swing <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So that said, that brings us to the end of uh, the podcast. Uh, so I will say that you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars number 114. And we will talk at you next week when the powers that be all, all willing and the stars aligning, we will play Swing in a Drive. Mm-hmm.